Welcome to Siege, a podcast about castles and crusades and other Siege Engine games. And, well, whatever the hell else we want to talk about. I'm your host, Sam, and I'm here with my co-host, George. Hi. And on this episode, we are going to talk about combat basics. That is, we're talking about the rules as written, combat guidelines in Castles and Crusades in the player's handbook. Okay. This is going to be a multi-episode arc because we're going to try to keep each episode relatively short. So some things, I'm warning you now, some things we're going to mention, and then we're just going to say that's for a later episode because some of these items could take a great deal of conversation, and we're trying to just hit you with the basics in this episode. So, George. Yes, Sam. How long is a round in Castles and Crusades? round is 10 seconds long, which isn't a lot of time. Now, when you compare it to something like uh, 3rd, 4th, or 5th edition D&D, those games actually have 6-second rounds. A lot quicker. But how long was a round in 2nd edition? One minute. Right. A lot slower. (laughs) Very much. 1st edition as well. So, how do we know when you're supposed to go in a round? Well... Rules as written, we're going to roll D10, and the person with the highest die roll is uh, the first to go. Now, do I add my decks to that? You never add your decks. In the case of a tie, the one with the highest dexterity goes first. That way, you don't have to worry. If you both have a plus one bonus, now what? One of you might have a plus one bonus because they've got a 13 dexterity, but another one of you might have a plus one bonus because you have a 15 dexterity. So if that's the case, the person with the 15 goes first, even though you have the same bonus. That's why they don't have you look at bonus. Um, Do you want to talk about attack rolls? Attack rolls. Attack rolls, there's three basic types. There's melee, ranged, and ranged thrown. Your basic melee attack is simply your D20 plus your base to hit, or BTH, plus your strength modifier. And any additional little odds and ends that might come into play, such as a fighter's uh, bonus for weapon specialization. Right. Or if you had a magic weapon or something. Or if you have a non-magic but expert weapon. Because if you have a non-magic but expert weapon, you can either choose to have that weapon give you a plus one to hit or a plus one to damage. So it's possible you might have one of those. Well, And then we get into the ranged weapons. Well, actually, I have a question for you first. Oh, what does BTH stand for? And how do I know what mine is? Well, BTH is your base to hit. And that's located on each character uh, in the player's handbook. So, for example, the fighter has a BTH on their chart of one at first level. It's one of the few character classes that actually has a plus one at first level. The rest of the characters in the player's handbook have a plus zero at first level. And because of that, the fighter has the best base to hit out of every class, all the way through every single level. And in addition to that, their plus one for specialization actually gets them out ahead at plus two. Exactly. Yeah, so they definitely are the best fighter, which is great because that's the name of the class. But the point here is base to hit is something that is based on your class. So... Every class will have one, but sometimes it's just a plus zero. Next up, we have ranged attacks. So we have non-thrown ranged attack, which would be perhaps with a bow or crossbow. And we also have 
um, ranged throne, which is very similar. It's a D20 plus your base to hit plus your dex modifier. The difference is that with a ranged throne weapon, you add your strength modifier to the damage roll. And with ranged weapons, there's penalties for ranges. So for example, if a creature is at a medium distance or medium range, it's a minus two. If they're at long range, it's a minus six. And Sam, what determines the ranges? So the ranges for the weapons are all listed on the equipment lists, which are on page, I think, 101 to 103, and in the player's handbook, 8th printing. And basically all of the ranged weapons have a listed range. The thrown weapons also have a listed range. And that listed range is considered close range. And then two times that, or up to two times that, is medium range. And up to three times that listed amount is long range. So let's say the range is 20. That would be close range. And so you don't take a penalty when you're trying to use that weapon within that range. So if it's 20 foot range, you're using that weapon within 20 feet, no penalty. However, if you go between 20 and 40, so 21 to 40, you now are at medium range. So you're going to take a minus two to hit anytime you make an attack that's within that range. And if you go above 40, all the way to 60, so 41 to 60 in that case, then you're going to be at long range and you're going to take a negative six penalty to hit. That's right. And just to call out that some weapons, such as the dagger and the club, are not listed under missile weapons, but they also have a range under the regular melee weapons. Right. And that's their thrown range, correct? Correct. And uh, thrown weapons still adhere to the short, medium, long range, or close, medium, long range. If you imagine, you can throw a dagger. A dagger at close range is 20 feet. You could probably throw a dagger 30 to 40 feet. That would be medium range. And you might be able to throw a dagger 60 feet. That would be long range. Throwing a dagger 60 feet, that's quite a thrill. It is, but if you think about these these fighters and rogues and paladins and whatnot, they are pretty, they're pretty good with weapons. So, you know. So what about unarmed attacks? The thing about unarmed attacks, there are varieties of unarmed attacks. The first thing to notice is if you look in the equipment list, it actually lists fists as a weapon, which is good because fists can be weapons. Um, They do 1d2 damage. You can actually use fists in a non-lethal manner or in a lethal manner. Okay, but that's not really the unarmed attacks that I'm talking about. What I'm talking about are these special combat unarmed attack moves that are on page 219 of the PHB. They are known as pummeling, grappling, and overbearing. And I'm not going to get into the details very deep because we're going to talk about these in a later episode because there are some uh, peculiarities with these rules. But basically, they are relatively simple attacks. For pummeling, the idea is it's an unarmed attack. You're trying to inflict damage and you want to knock them out. So you're trying to incapacitate them without killing them. So you're basically going to do fist damage plus your strength modifier. And that is by definition non-lethal. So you don't even have to say non-lethal. It's just non-lethal. Grappling attacks is a special attack where you are trying to hold the opponent and subdue them. uh, And then you could actually do an overbearing 
uh, attack if you have them grappled. You can end up knocking them to the floor. So there are these interactions between these. Basically, they're still attacks. You're still going to roll a d20. It's still going to be versus the AC of the opponent and things like that. But they have some special effects and special things that happen because of that particular activity. And there's some weird interactions with uh, the trip rules. And so we're going to hold those off for a different episode. Remember, I warned you earlier that we're going to talk about some things and then we're just going to mention them. And so they do exist, but they just, you know, unarmed attacks deserves its own episode. So we are going to set it aside. Just know that they exist. Uh, they're not all that difficult, but they do have some interesting interactions. So we're, we're not going to talk more about those in this particular episode. Instead, we're going to move on to damage, bandages, and healing. So, George. Yes, Sam. What does it mean by natural damage? Natural damage is what a creature would do with its claws or bite or any other attack that they have naturally. Got it. So generally, natural damage is going to be something where a creature is using that. And most PCs are going to be using weapon damage. The exception to that is maybe the monk if they're using unarmed attacks. But point of clarity, the monk hand... If they're an unarmed monk, they actually, their hands are considered weapons and they do weapon damage. Natural damage is reserved for creatures. So what kind of bonuses do you add to your damage when you, when you hit something and you're doing melee damage? Typically, it would just be your strength modifier, if any. Um, in addition to that, um, any specialization for a fighter or magic weapons or perhaps a magical enhancement, such as a prayer spell. Nice. Uh, unarmed attack, just a regular melee fist attack, not pummeling, not the special movements. Those things do 1d2 as listed in the equipment list, which, by the way, the damage that is done by each weapon might be different. You have to look in the equipment list to get that. And it's so damage is based on weapons. So some weapons do d4, some do 2d4, some, some do 1d6, 1d8, etc. The main difference between melee damage and range damage is melee damage, you add your strength modifier. And for thrown weapons... As George said earlier, you you add your strength modifier. But for non-thrown ranged damage, because you're not applying your strength to the actual weapon projecting or propelling forward, it's actually the, the weapon that does that itself. So you don't add your strength damage to that. And you don't add your dexterity. In that case, you would add your dexterity to the attack, but not to the damage. It is possible that if your character is of a certain type, they could have extra attacks, okay? So, for example, fighters get an extra attack, and most individuals don't get extra attacks unless they have something in their, in their character class that lets them do that. But if you want to attack with two weapons, right? So uh, it's actually considered a special combat maneuver, and... You make your regular melee attack, but your regular melee attack is at a negative three for your main attack. And then you can make a second attack with your offhand weapon, but it's at a negative six. So unless you have a special ability like the fighter, right? They have a multiple attack benefit built into their class progression. As they level up, they will get more attacks eventually. Those attacks don't take a penalty. Uh, so monks get a second attack as well. Uh, later on, later than the fighter, I think even gets one. But in normal cases, 
all the other PCs, they, they don't get an extra attack. But if they choose to do some kind of dual-wielding attack, that's called a two-weapon attack. It's one turn. You make two attacks. You have to have a weapon in each hand, and you take a pretty heavy penalty uh, to those attacks, to both of them. Not just the second one, but both of them. Are there any other penalties for using two weapons in your attack? When using two weapons, the player must designate which hand is used for the primary attack and which is the off attack. So I think the answer is no. There is no other penalty. The ability to to, to choose to do two-weapon fighting, the only penalty, the only drawback is the minus three, minus six. Because the thing is that you take that no matter what. You know, it's it's not like, oh, I can use some kind of special proficiency or get some kind of special magic weapon. Like, this, that's it. If you're using two weapons and you're making two attacks, you're going to take that penalty on both attacks. So, Sam, I, I think we need to talk about this from the aspect of uh, that it's two weapons, minus three and minus six, and that a, a DM should determine how heavy or how large of an item uh, that they can use. For example, they would not be able to dual wield two two-handed swords. Right. Well, but the, by definition, though, because a two-handed sword requires two hands to use. So, and with two-weapon fighting, you have to have two different weapons. Yeah. <laughs> so, what, George, is there is there something else about two-weapon fighting? So there's no penalty for weapon size. You have to be reasonable about what weapons you allow the PC to use for this. And there's a negative three and a negative six penalty, but what else? Anything else? Well, one of the most important parts is that the penalties are affected by the character's dex modifier. And the strength modifier only applies to the damage inflicted. And that's different because normally in a melee attack, you roll the d20, you add your base to hit, and then you add your strength modifier. When you two-weapon fight, it's no longer strength. Now it's dex. You lose that. Well, you still keep that uh, the strength damage, though, which I'm surprised. You keep the strength damage. Yep. So that means that a person who wants to really do well dual wielding like that, they need to be high dex and high strength, which is not exactly common. Not at all. Right. So... Yeah, so so the thing about two-weapon fighting is it's a very brief section of the book, and it's really only there, I think, because pe- a lot of people asked for it. Um, but the idea is the CK is going to have to make lots of adjudication about this because there's no rule about how big or small the weapons have to be compared to each other or compared to the individual. Um, you know, in, in some other systems, there are rules about what the size of the weapon can be and – that sort of thing. In here, there's not. They made it very simple. And the simple rule is you take a negative three for the first weapon, you take a negative six for the second weapon, and you have to be holding both weapons, which means you can't be using a shield, you can't have anything else in your hands, right? And you're still going to take those right. penalties, even if you don't have anything else, right? So that's that's the baseline. The, the castle keeper is going to have to adjudicate any other question that comes out of this particular situation. The monk is a special case because they have, you know, their, their sort of martial artistry, two weapons, both fists kind of thing is a separate thing. But for just a generic PC, 
even a fighter with so let me just make this distinction when they get a multiple attacks per round they just get more than one attack but it's with the same primary hand right so if they're using like a long sword they're just attacking with their long sword twice a person doing two weapon fighting is not just attacking twice with the same weapon they have to have two weapons so that's why you take the penalty because that is a very difficult style of fighting despite you know some popular media <laughs> um so let's yeah let's move on and let's talk about healing uh just in in the very briefest of aspects i'm only i only want to hit healing with respect to combat because obviously in combat the party is attempting to best the opponents and if the opponents uh when you when you take away all their hit points through damage and through spells and all that then they're gone and that's fine but what if a pc hits zero hit points what happens at zero hit points george character simply goes unconscious unable to act but are they dead they're not dead unconscious is not dead they are not dead now if they get hit again and they end up at negative between negative one and negative six hit points they are still unconscious but now they are considered grievously wounded okay so yes that's fine they'll have to get some bed rest and whatnot if they hit negative seven to negative nine, what happens? They're starting to bleed out, losing what one hit point per round, right, Samuel? Yep. Whoever's playing that cleric needs to get a first aid spell to them quick. <laughs> right. And at negative 10, when they hit negative 10, they die. Okay. Like really dead? Like dead, dead. Death occurs oh, immediately. And the only thing that brings them back is resurrection, reincarnation. Right. So there's that. Now, there's one other thing other than that first aid spell or the cure wounds that you're talking about, the cure light wounds that you're talking about, and that is bandages. And unfortunately, bandages are listed in the equipment list for purchase, but the rules for using a bandage in combat and out of combat, by the way, are not in the player's handbook. They are in the supplemental book called The Adventurer's Backpack on page 66. So we're not really going to address them other than they have some requirements. If you're going to use them, they have to be fresh bandages. They have to have a healing salve on them, and they have to be applied to the individual within four rounds of the injury occurring. Otherwise, they cannot help that wound. Okay. The reason why there's a more extensive discussion there possible and a, a more extensive set of rules is because of what it means to be wounded versus injured versus how many rounds ago did that happen? How many hit points did it take? How do you make sure there's a healing salve on the bandages and can you increase the healing from that? All of that, that's a much bigger conversation and it is not for this episode because we are trying to keep the episodes short. So, and also we're doing rules as written PHB. Now that is already stepped out into the adventures backpack. So let's move on. And George, I want you to tell me about armor class. First of all, what is armor class? Armor class is the difficulty to hit a creature or character. It's their natural defenses or armors, and sometimes includes their dexterity modifier. All depends on the conditions that they may have at that time. Well, so normally, uh, you determine your regular sort of quote normal armor class by taking, you start with 10, then you have your dexterity modifier, you apply that. And then you have, if you're wearing armor, you get an armor bonus, you apply that. And if you're using a shield, you get an extra plus one because that's what a shield is worth. Now, if you're not wearing a helmet 
and something takes a headshot at you, specifically trying to damage your head, then you're not going to get your armor bonus for that. So instead, your AC for that is a 10 plus your dexterity modifier. And if you have a helmet, there will be a helmet bonus, but otherwise that's it. If something makes a touch attack against you, which could happen a lot with spells, for example, then you don't get your armor bonus because it's just about touching you. So it's going to be 10 plus your dexterity modifier. So your dex mod helps in all of those cases, okay? When you're surprised, if it's determined that you're surprised, which we didn't actually mention surprise because, again, that's another whole episode because of the way Castle and Crusades does siege checks, but... When you're surprised, if your party is surprised or if you're individually surprised, you lose your dexterity modifier for your armor to your AC. So your AC then is 10 plus the armor bonus plus if you have a shield plus one. You lose your dex because you're surprised so you're not able to move and dodge in the normal way that you would move and dodge. And the last thing that we wanted to talk about or mention in this episode are things called combat maneuvers. What are combat maneuvers? Combat maneuvers are anything that will assist you in the combat round other than your basic attack or casting spells. So, for example, charging or evading or disengaging or just even trying to defend yourself with an offensive focus or parrying or making up a shield wall. Those are the combat maneuvers typically used. There's also rear attacks, what you do when you receive a charge, pushing something, doing a flank, trying to disarm, tripping. But the difference between the things I listed compared to what George listed is that the ones that he listed are actions that you have to declare before you roll initiative. So in Castles and Crusades, normally you don't have to declare your actions. Like typically in a typical round, you just roll your D10 for your initiative. And when the CK gets to that number, you say, oh, I have a six, I'm going, right? And you don't have to declare what you're doing. You don't have to tell anybody what you're doing first or before that, right? In some other games, you have to do that, right? Like in, in basic D&D, you had to declare. So before we even rolled initiative, you had to say, oh, my fighter is going to attack this person in front of them. and Or, or oh, my magic user is going to go over there and then cast the spell, right? Yeah, and that gives a lot of flexibility for the players. Gives a lot of flexibility that you don't have to declare, except some combat maneuvers change your armor class. And if they change your armor class, you have to declare ahead of time. That way, if someone rolls initiative and they go before you do, then you don't get the benefit of the full armor class. You get the benefit of the armor class that has been changed. So, for example... um, if you do a hasty disengagement, you are hastily moving away from someone that you're already in melee combat with. You take a penalty to your AC because you're doing that, okay? Basically, you're trying to get away from them fast, so fast that you're not really defending yourself very well anymore. So you take a lower AC. Meanwhile, evading, you get a bonus to your AC, but you don't get to attack, But because you get a bonus to your AC, you need to declare that ahead of time so that anybody that's going to attack you, you get that bonus despite the fact that they went before you in initiative, right? In fact, I think if you evade, you don't even roll initiative because you're just evading. That's correct. So as you could see just from this discussion, some of these things, they they get a little complex, right? And we didn't even define these things. Really, the only reason to bring them up is to show you that 
you know, the game recognizes the the authors, the designers recognized that sometimes, you know, characters want a little more meaty kind of things that they could do rather than just, oh, I run up and swing my sword, right? So they're going to come up with innovative, creative actions. They're going to try to use a chair as a shield, or they're going to, you know, try to swing on a chandelier. And the CK is going to have to adjudicate all those things. And so to help with a little bit of that, the PHB gives a list of some things that are maybe kind of common or typical things that people ask about things like, uh, you know, flanking and making a shield wall or hitting somebody with your shield instead of your actual weapon and things like that. So they provide information about all of those things. Those are called combat maneuvers because they're over and above the sort of typical things, because ultimately the game is meant to be very simple and in a combat round, you get to do one thing. You either get to attack or you get to cast a spell or you get to move or you get to use if you have a class ability that would come into play or you could use an item that happened to be in your hand or on your belt. And that's pretty much it. The only exception to that really is those combat maneuvers, which allow you to do something maybe more extravagant, like charging lets you move a lot and attack. Whereas generally, the only way you can attack is if you're not moving or if you only move up to half your speed, which is not very far. Other things you can't, for example, move and cast a spell. You can't move and use a class ability unless the movement is part of the class ability, like a rogue's climbing surfaces or something, right? So they're trying to provide you with enough guidance that you could do interesting, fun things, okay, uh, as part of the combat, but they... And so they give guidelines for how, you know, what the penalties or bonuses might be for those different things. Okay. And we didn't go over them in detail because we don't need to go over them in detail. You just understand that they exist, right? Okay. George, you have anything to add to that? I'd like to, uh, you, you brought up an interesting point in, in your descriptions there with the combat maneuvers. You, you referenced an idea of using a chair as a shield. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. And I think that's something that you find in Castles and Crusades more than other games. Players wanting to do something like that. And I could see the the DM or the CK uh, trying to adjudicate that on the fly. Um, I can see the, ch- the chair being broken. Uh, you know, maybe it only lasts a round or two, but it gives them that plus one. Mm-hmm. So very interesting, Sam. Or may- Or maybe... It gave him a plus two because of the legs of the chair, right? And that caused the blow to only be a glancing blow, but it broke the chair, <laughs> right? And yeah, now the ta- yeah. tavern keeper's mad at you because all the chairs are broken. But hey, <laughs> you didn't take any damage. Right. And it's almost a classic movie trope where players or uh, the actors in the movie are picking up anything to stop or to protect themselves. Right. From that flurry of blows. I might have to uh, see if any of my players uh, start using a chair as a shield in combat. Yeah, maybe I'll use one this week. That would be awesome. <laughs> I'm, I may I may remove all chairs from the game. <laughs> no chairs. <laughs> you walk into the tavern and there's five tables and there are lots of people standing up boisterously uh, talking and drinking and there's not a chair to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, that's basically going to wrap up the basics of combat. 
again, there are lots of things we mentioned and I had to say, well, we're going to talk about that later because it gets into a lot of detail and a lot of things that as they come up, you sort of learn how the the ebb and flow of the rules go, but we don't really have time to talk through all of that at the moment. So we wanted to just give you a very quick sort of rundown of what combat is. Rounds are 10 seconds. You roll a, a, a D10 for initiative, melee and ranged attacks and ranged thrown attacks. The fact that unarmed, unarmed attacks exist, how basic damage works, right? Many of these things are relatively familiar to you. Even if you're new to CNC, if you've played another fantasy RPG, a lot of these will seem very familiar. And that's part of the idea of doing this episode is this is kind of the familiar stuff. There's still a few odd oddities, right? There's some oddities in there that are located in two or three places in the book and maybe not as easily found, like the range thing with the thrown weapons or with the range weapons. But ultimately, these things should feel very familiar. I want to end this talk about combat with one piece that sort of falls into that category. And that is something that is mentioned one time in the beginning part of the book and then never mentioned again, even though it's a pretty important, impactful thing. And that is also, I'm going to call it the fun fact of the episode. The fun fact of this episode is we have talked about using weapons and making melee attacks and making ranged attacks. What we didn't say is anything about proficiency. We George mentioned the fighter's weapon specialization, which gives them an extra bonus to hit, but we didn't say anything about proficiencies. It turns out Every class has a list of weapons that they are automatically proficient in. And some races have extras that, they, that they're proficient in based on the race, okay? But here's the thing. If you are using a weapon that you are not proficient with, you take a negative four penalty to your attack rolls. The problem is that's only printed, that's only mentioned in the book in one place, and that's on page 16 at the beginning of the class description section when it tells you why it gives you a list of weapons for each class. Yeah, that's a really small detail that's kind of hidden, Sam. It's a really small hidden detail, but it's really important because it stops individuals from just picking up anything. Because the thing is, improvised weapons, that means you're not proficient with them. So... We talked about picking up a chair and using it as a shield. What if I wanted to use that chair as a weapon? Well, that's a little bit different. Not quite as easy as using it as a shield because now I'm wielding a weapon I am not proficient with and I'm going to take a negative four to my attack roll. And if I really wanted to push the limits of my DM and castles and crusades, if I played an elf, I would get a plus one to my dexterity. And if I had a really good dex... And I get a bonus to, let's say, a longsword, or even better, the uh, the longbow. I could use that and uh, try to negate any penalties by using a bow as an elf, wizard. Mm-hmm. That's one way to go about it. The other way, multi-classing. Oh my gosh, multi-classing is one of my favorite things to discuss in Castles and Crusades. It's one of my least favorite things to discuss, and that's where we're going to end the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, on the next episode, we are going to visit combat again, 
But this time we're going to talk about options and clarifications. There are some options and choices that have to be made about initiative. There's an issue with uh, polearm use and large creatures. There's casting time questions. There is an explanation of movement types and what kind of movement can you perform in combat. I kind of mentioned that tonight, but not in detail. And, and then we're going to talk about also those unarmed combat pieces that I mentioned and, and didn't really hit on. If you would like to have us address a particular topic, you can uh, contact us on Discord. We're on the Troller Games Discord, and uh, you can ping DM Samuel, that's me, or you can ping Ultra Magnus, that's George. Uh, you can also send an email to dndbrief at gmail.com, and we'd love to have a conversation with you, and we'll try to listen to listener requests and talk about things that are interesting to other people, because that's kind of the point of the podcast. Anything before you sign out, George? Oh, I just hope everyone enjoys the game. Yeah, me too. Yeah.